You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. So real quickly before we get to your calls today, uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, I took a question from a woman who was interested in finding someone who would fuck her for money. hate to be crude, but that's really what it was. And she didn't know where to go or who to look for, and I suggested that she go to rentboy.com and check out the male escorts there, many of whom, although they're, you know, offering themselves to a male clientele at rentboy.com, many of whom identify as straight, mention that they're straight. And I've known quite a few uh, escorts, male escorts, who were gay for pay, who saw male clients but were straight. Uh, and so I advise you to check out redboy.com. Before we get your calls, I want to bring on a guest expert, the author of Ask Dominic, which is an advice column for escorts and their clients that runs at redboy.com. He sent me an email taking me to task for my advice, and he joins us now by phone. Hey, Dominic. Hey, Dan. So what was wrong with my advice to that caller who wanted to uh, find a male escort? Well, I would just offer a word of caution. If you're looking for a straight-identified or bisexual-identified male sex worker on Rentboy, you might want to uh, take into account that many of the escorts who list themselves as straight or bi are gay. They are full-on cock-sucking, legs-in-the-air, ass-fuck gay. (laughs) It's the mythical allure of straight trade. is so strong that many of these escorts list themselves. They're employing marketing little bit of a marketing ruse. For listeners who may not be familiar with the trade thing, can you unpack that? Uh, straight trade is a concept wherein you are uh, soliciting sex from a putatively straight individual. And it, you know, it goes back a hundred years. People have been talking about trade for a hundred years, where a guy, Absolutely. you know, straight guys who let you blow them are trade. Uh, they're not and, gay. And, and it's and for a certain segment of the gay population, it's absolute catnip to think that you're convincing a straight man to uh, indulge in, in gay activity. So, how does this you know caller, if she wants to go to rentboy.com, tell the guys who are gay who are marketing themselves as straight because that turns some other gay dudes on from the guys who might actually be gay for pay straight dudes who'd be up for seeing a female client. Well, I think she's just going to have to do your uh, paying lady. is just going to have to do some screening. I mean, I think if she uh, contacts uh, any any of the uh, escorts who are listed as, as straight who check the sex uh, uh, the straight box under sexual orientation, and they don't respond, they are probably not interested in taking a call with a female. But I do think she will find some a limited number of escorts on Rentboy who are willing to book a, a call with a female. Okay, before we let you go, just quickly, what are the questions that usually come up? I, I'm a big fan of advice columns and advice columnists, and I hadn't heard of your advice column before you wrote. So what are the questions that typically come up uh, for escorts and clients at your column, which I'm going to go check out? From the escorts, I get a lot of questions regarding logistics and the closing of the deal and how to market themselves. It's amazing to me that some of these young guys aren't as internet savvy as you would think they would be, considering that sex work has really migrated online in the last uh, few years. And then from the uh, clients, I get the most poignant, heartfelt questions about what to do about their relationship with a 
an escort that they want to change from a transactional one to one of a more romantic nature. And it's, it's very, it's, it's, it's very challenging for me to, to parse that and to, uh, to navigate those, um, those, uh, that, that, uh, those problems for, uh, these, for these clients. I don't want to tell them that it's going to, it's never possible that they'll never find, uh, romance. I, I don't want to tell them they're looking for love in all the wrong places because it really isn't a wrong place to look for love, but they have to be realistic about it. And you know whereof you speak. You used to be a full-time escort yourself, you told me, uh, in your email before you began writing. I was. For three years, I supported myself uh, as a full-time escort in New York, and I retired and took a corporate job, which meant a bit of a pay cut, but the benefits were better. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Did you ever take take a relationship from transactional to romantic? Is that even possible? I do think it's possible, and I do think it happens. It did not happen with me. I will say that I did take, in three years, I had several requests from women uh, because I listed myself as bisexual, a little marketing license, and I took one of these calls in three years. So they were pretty infrequent, and I did go on one uh, cuckolding scene, but that was really driven by the husbands. Okay, and where can people find your column who want to read your column? Uh, they can go to rentboy.com and click on the link to the blog, and uh, a new column will be appearing this week. Uh, what's the link to the blog called? Blog.rentboy.com. Okay. Go there, look for it. At blog.rentboy.com, you will find Dominic's column, Ask Dominic, Advice for Escorts and Their Clients. Thanks for giving us a, bu- a buzz, Dom. Absolutely, Dan. Take care. Bye. All right. That was uh, Dom's call. Your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit AdamandEve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. I am a 21-year-old gay chick in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm calling. Um, I recently came out. I came out about a month ago. Um, and all of my friends and family have been totally cool with it. I did the classic came out as bi years ago, but I decided it was time to tell people that wasn't bi, I'm just a lesbian. And the only person who has given me any trouble with it, um, is my ex-boyfriend. We were together for two years. Um, we broke up about eight months ago. Um, And I thought, I mean, we stayed really close. We were really good friends. I thought that he would understand. I thought he'd be cool with it. And he's proceeded to basically shut me out. And it's really hurting me a lot because even though I'm getting all the support from my friends and my family, it's still not the easiest thing in the world to do um, to come out as a lesbian. Um, and I just would love to have his support. Here's what you do. You accept that although you would like to have everyone's support at this time and in the same sorts of ways that your family and other friends are showing their support, you're not entitled to everyone's support at all times and always demonstrated in the same way. It's a little harder for your ex-boyfriend, perhaps emotionally, for you to have come out as a lesbian because he may feel that the time you spent with him 
was a lie or that you were deceiving him or that time is somehow negated. Uh, it's not just an expression uh, on his part of homophobia or rejection. He may be standing there feeling kind of rejected himself and kind of like he has been wronged. So instead of asking him for his support, demanding to know where it is, the support that you're entitled to, and I believe that you are entitled to support from your family and friends, I think you need to go to him and ask him how he's feeling and acknowledge that this may be tough on him, that you are not identifying as bisexual anymore. And people may be looking at him and like, oh, dude, you were, you know, you went out with a lesbian or you made her a lesbian. Like he may, there may be just issues that have risen for him that are making him feel awkward and uncomfortable. And you might be able to come to terms and get the support that you want from him if you showed a little support for him and recognize that perhaps this is hard for him too. I've talked to people who are the girlfriends of guys who then came out as gay and they're often kind of wounded by that revelation and they feel humiliated in the eyes of their friends and people who knew them when they were a couple. And that could be the case uh, for this dude. So, so reach out to him without an expectation that you know he's some sort of support slot machine and you get to put a quarter in and then support pours out. Uh, you have to reach out to him like a human being who has feelings and needs of his own and may be entitled to a little support from you at this time. Hey, Dan. Um, I'm kind of having a problem with the situation I've gotten myself into. I recently started dating a girl who used to be my neighbor and who was also, um, to say, an erotic dancer, stripper, whatever. But... I thought I was okay with it at first, and it's been that we were, were we went we had a thing a while before, and it ended badly. I was kind of it was a rebound situation for the both of us, and we got together again, much to the uh, dismay of most of my friends. And she seems to be putting forth a real good faith effort. She's really into me. She likes me, and I'm hesitant because of one the way things turned out last time, where things you know erupted violently and very volatile. And now, this time, while she wants to get serious, I sat there and I thought about it, and I don't know if I could get serious with someone like that, not to say that I have any problem with her line of work, you know, I think it's great, it's empowering, it's whatever, but it's just not something I don't know, I don't know if I could do it for me. I, I tend to be more of a jealous person, if not outwardly, at least internally, and it kind of feels like some of the ownership in a relationship goes away because uh, there's parts of her that I mean, I could have to myself, obviously, but not as intimate as I would like it to be. And I guess it's just, it's something that I'm having trouble coming to terms with. I guess you could say that her price of admission is a little too high. I don't know. I really like this girl and I would like to keep seeing her. I just don't want it to be so serious, especially not quite so fast. I would have liked to have gotten you on the phone just to have you open up or unpack what you meant exactly by things erupted violently. There's a lot that could cover um, and a lot that could be problematic. Uh, look, if you can't change your attitude about ownership, you kept using, you used that a couple of times. Um, you know, the fact that she strips, uh, the fact that she does a sort of low-grade, low-stake sex work 
you said, quote unquote, uh, means that some of the ownership goes away. Well, you don't own her. Uh, even if she wasn't a stripper, you wouldn't own her. There may be parts of her that you as her boyfriend would see that other people might not have the ability to see unless, of course, they caught her in a bikini at the beach and then they'd see just about everything that you would see anyway. Uh, but you don't own her. And if you can't Go there if you can't, you know, decide that you're not going to, you know, cling to perhaps sexist attitudes about what a relationship is and what a girlfriend is. You know, she's not your possession. Then she's not the right girlfriend for you. This may be too high a price of admission, not for you to pay, but I think for her to pay. Where you're undermining what she does for a living and you're undermining her own sense that her body is hers and she may share it with you. She may because she likes you and wants to date you and wants you to be her boyfriend is going to grant you an all access pass but she's not ceding the deed to you. You don't own her. And if you can't go there, if you can't change your attitude about possession and if you can't shrug off the perhaps sexist or sex worker phobic judgments of your friends and family based on what this uh, girlfriend of yours or this woman that you're interested in does for a living, then she may not be right for you, by which I mean to say she can do better. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hey there, Dan. Uh, This is Billy. You constantly say uh, when you talk about statistics with condoms, uh, using them properly versus improperly. Um, what constitutes using the condom improperly besides, let's say, it breaking? Because I feel like it's fairly straightforward. Maybe I'm missing something. Here's how you use it improperly. You use one that isn't the right fit. That's either too big or too small. Too big tends to roll off. Too small tends to burst. Uh, you need to check and make sure that the condom is still on, that the condom hasn't broken while you use it. Like sort of mid-fuck, you just let your hand drift down and your eye drift down. You take a quick look, a little condom check to make sure the little puppy's still on your little puppy. And also then when you ejaculate, when you come, you need to not just sit there with your dick deflating inside a condom in the vaginal walls or anal walls, pressing down on it and shoving the semen out. Uh, you need to remove your dick usually while it's still relatively hard, and you need to hold the condom, hold the base of the condom. You know, Grab the base of your dick, grab the condom as you remove it to prevent it from slipping off and to prevent leakage. Uh, if you do all of that, then you are using a condom properly. If you do none of that, if you just roll that thing on and then try to forget it's there, uh, you are using a condom improperly. Hey, Dan, please settle a, an argument I am having with a girlfriend of mine. Uh, my boyfriend has a weird schedule. So sometimes when I crash at his place, he's nice enough to let me sleep in. And when he comes into the room after having a shower, he'll cuddle with me while I'm kind of half asleep. And occasionally we have sex. I am perfectly okay with him having sex with me while I'm borderline asleep. But my friend claims that if I'm not awake enough to actually say yes, 
or even fully be aware of everything, then it's technically rape. I think she's full of shit, and he's my boyfriend. If I were actually awake, I would be happy to have sex with him. It's just we have a weird schedule, and he's trying to be nice and respect the fact that I don't sometimes want to get up at 5 in the morning to shower with him and have some fun in the morning, and he just is kind of going with the flow. So you could just basically agree with me, I'd appreciate it. Or if you disagree with me and think that this is really weird and creepy, please tell me, and I can actually know that. Okay, bye. Here's a funny thing. I was on the bus today on the way to Savage Industries down here in the 23rd floor of the Washington Mutual Building where we record the podcast with a beautiful view of Puget Sound. And uh, there's a really hot guy on the bus. Totally hot. Totally my type. You know, sort of the Cord Overstreet, Keanu Reeves axis of evil type. Uh, If I had walked over to him and without saying a word uh, initiated sexual activity – without obtaining his consent in advance. Uh, and oh, by the way, relevant note, he was dozing. He was half asleep on the bus. If I'd walked over to him and just popped my dick in his mouth, that would have been rape. That would have been sexual assault for sure. If I had walked into my bedroom at home and it was Terry, who also exists in the Cordover Street, Counter Reeves axis of uh, erotic evil, And I had walked over to him and initiated sex the exact same way. He's dozing. I just walk over, pop my dick in his mouth. Not rape. Your friend is, as you state, full of shit. And why is that? Same activities. Hot guy asleep on the bus. Hot guy asleep in my room. Exact same everything. You know, walk over, pop dick in the mouth. Rape in one case, not in the other. Well, in part because – in large part in in toto because – Terry and I have been together for so long that there exists between us this thing that I've described in my column to to some controversy as implied consent, that basically it's all good. We have an established sexual connection, sexual rapport. We have an ease of communication and there are certain assumptions that we can make like I know that that would be welcome. I don't know that about the guy on the bus. In fact, I'm pretty sure it would have been unwelcome in the case of the guy on the bus. But I know that with Terry – that same action uh, would be very well received. And if at that particular moment he wasn't feeling it and really wanted to sleep, uh, he could tell me and I would pull my dick out of his mouth and go do something else, maybe go read the New York Times. Uh, Likewise, I assume that's the case with you and your boyfriend, that these moments where he initiates uh, sexual activity when you're dozing, uh, that at some point you click in, you're aware of what's going on, your consent continues to roll forward, right? Uh, but if you weren't feeling it at that moment, if you felt a little under the weather, if you'd had a Theraflu, that you could put your hand on his chest and say, not now, and he would knock it off. And that's what it is like when a couple exists in a state of implied continuous consent. Yes, it's yes, it's always a go unless consent is withdrawn. With somebody that you don't know well, consent must be obtained in advance. I think explicitly and specifically per encounter, even somebody you may be dating on and off a little bit, you don't yet, you haven't achieved that level of ease, comfort, and presumption. That is something that can make a sexual relationship go and make it kind of hot and fun. You know, we always say what you don't want to take each other for granted in an LTR because that can kill it. But this is one instance. This is the one case where you kind of do want to take each other for granted in an LTR. It's fun to think 
that at any moment, hot, fun, interesting sex could break out because the two of us together were an ongoing sexual fang. And either of us has the right at any time, uh, when it's appropriate, not in front of the children or the dog, to initiate. Such is the case in your relationship and your friend should pull her head out of her ass and fuck the fuck off. Hi, Dan. I'm a 41-year-old hetero married for about 12 years, and we have two daughters, ages 12 and 15. We recently went on a family vacation, and I was thrilled that my husband's sex drive had miraculously returned. However, after having a great time in the shower together on two separate days, I was mortified to discover that from the bathroom window that faced the hallway in this small apartment, the shadow of the person or persons showering were clearly visible. My daughters didn't seem to act funny when we came out of the bathroom, and it's possible that they did not enter the hallway or look toward the hallway from the living room to see their parents doing unspeakable acts to each other. But I'm wondering if I should say anything, and if so, what would I possibly say to them? Here's what you say to them. You say, there are times when a man and a woman love each other very much, and they give each other a special hug in the shower, and they fuck the shit out of each other. And you should be glad that your parents, together all these years, parents of teenagers, are still so much in love that they seize whatever opportunity they can to fuck the living shit out of each other. No, you don't say any of that. If your children noticed that mom and dad were doing it, and they've noticed on other occasions that mom and dad are doing it, the only thing that would mortify them more than having witnessed what they've already witnessed is you initiating a conversation about it. Just leave it the fuck alone. They know you two fuck. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist. And they're probably, even if they spotted it on some level, they're not traumatized by it. They're probably reassured by it because it means you guys are still into each other. It means you guys still love each other as squicky as it might have made them feel at 12 and 15, if they saw it. And we don't even know if they did. As squicky as it might have made them feel on some level, it was probably deeply reassuring, depending on what you were doing in the shower. You know, if your husband was pissing in your mouth, all bets are off. Hey, Dan. Big fan here. And I was pretty disappointed you didn't do a Halloween special, a.k.a. a Savage Love creepy cast, because I have a perfect story in question for you. So I'm now hijacking the show, and this is the 2011 Savage Love Creepy Cast, and here is my story in question. Um, I'm a 23-year-old gay dude. Uh, I prefer slightly more mature men. I have a sophisticated palette for men. I recently went on a second date with a guy who was pretty awesome. At dinner, we got talking about art, and he mentioned his collections in a sculpture he had in his yard. Um, the conversation in general was great, and then we got talking about family, and he let me know a year and a half ago his mom died. And he took it pretty bad because they lived together. <clears throat> Which is why he hadn't dated much and came across as kind of naive. So after dinner, he invited me to his place, which was a 30-minute drive. He offered to drive, and I felt safe enough to let him. So on the way to his place, he started talking about this sculpture again. He hadn't told me what it was, but said I'd like it, and it was huge and carved out of a tree in his backyard. Um, we got there, and he turns on the flashlight and takes me to the backyard, and it is a sculpture of his dead mom. Uh, I was kind of creeped out at that point, but it was outside, and we were going inside. Um, so things kind of went back to normal for a bit. So we were watching television and having a few beers, and uh, he doesn't smoke, but I do smoke when I'm drinking. Um, 
And so I lit up a cigarette and he made the comment that he likes that I smoke because it reminds him of his mom and his mom smoked until she died. Which again, kind of like, huh? <laughs> so I kind of quit drinking at that point, just keep my, you know, in a clear mind. It was only the second day. And, you know, if I did anything, I want to make sure that was something I wanted to do. Um, which I ended up staying there in a separate bedroom where we fooled around. Um, and I woke up the next morning. There was a note there saying that he had to go out to pick up a few things and he would be back in an hour. And as I realized in the daylight that the room I'm staying in is his mom's room. <laughs> and at this point, I'm super creeped and I'm there alone and the sculpture's in the backyard staring through the windows. And um, I go into the kitchen where there is, should be coffee and I find an ashtray with a half-lit cigarette and the ashtray is completely clean out and it all I can assume is it's his mother's last cigarette or something like that. And I found other creepy things like that everywhere. So I'm just wondering, what the fuck? <laughs> like, was this dude obsessed with his mom to the point of, you know, spurring me in his mom's bedroom? Or was that a coincidence? Like, what's going on? Ooh. I'm not sure exactly what I'm to clarify here. It seems pretty clear, abundantly clear, that the guy was... Kind of creepy. And you were able to tease all that out on your own. Yours is, as we like to say at Savage Industries, one of the non-question questions where somebody just wants to share. They want to tell their creepy or sometimes braggy story. Uh, And we like to facilitate that. That's one of the ways we learn about sex is hearing about other people's most novel, most interesting, kinkiest or creepiest experiences. So uh, thanks for sharing. And it was a good idea, actually. Maybe next year before Halloween, we will solicit everyone's creepiest sexual encounter stories and do a whole show where we do nothing but share tales of creepy fucking shit that happened to us when we were naked or nearly so or the next morning at the Bates Motel. Hi, Dan. I'm a 31-year-old, hero-flexible, kinky female in New England. I've been seeing a guy for four months now. In our second week of dating, when I was still trying to sort of feel out how kinky he was and what turned him on, he confided to me that he had been sexually abused as a child by a family friend, an older male. Um, he asked me if he could tell me this, and we didn't talk about details at the time because um, he wasn't ready to. Um, but since then, I've ascertained a few details of it over the time we've been together including that he never told anybody, um, no parents, no authorities, or the attacker, and I don't know anything else about it. Um, We've had a pretty good sexual relationship thus far, but I sort of want to ramp up the kink, and whenever I've brought it up, he seems a little bit too shy to initiate it. He doesn't really stick with it. Um, It's sort of like I initiate him spanking me, or if it gets a little bit more hardcore than that, um, I tell him how much I enjoyed it afterwards. He often says something like he sees it being only for special occasions or not that frequently. And I'm afraid that I'm close to possibly stepping on a landmine in um, initiating it any more forcefully. So how do I first um, approach this subject and um, reopen the question of, what exactly happened. Um, I feel like I need to know a little bit more about the situation so that it doesn't come up at the wrong timing altogether. And don't want to hurt him. Um, 
the other thing is how can I approach getting kind of what I need sexually? I really like to be, um, I like to be dominated and, um, I, I like a degree of violence <laughs> in the bed. Um, he seems really open-minded about being kinky, but he naturally, I think, is a kind of vanilla person. These are really two separate issues. He was molested, you say, and didn't go to the authorities and didn't tell anybody and uh, presumably never sought therapy. And then also, you are kinky and you want a certain degree of dom subplay and erotic, quote-unquote, violence in your sex life, and you're afraid that... Uh, that might not work for him. And it might not work for him, not because he was molested, but because he's vanilla. That someone can have had an experience of, you know, being victimized or traumatized sexually or, or abused, uh, and also then grow up to be happy, healthy, stable, sane, and completely vanilla. So the issue may be that you guys just are not sexually compatible. And that's how I would approach it if I were you. I don't approach him with the presumption that because of this experience in his past, he must still in his adult life be reeling and be made out of spun glass. And if you ask for the wrong thing the wrong way, he could shatter. I mean, you should be conscious of his sexual history. He should be conscious of yours. You should be conscious of the fact that this is an incident. This is an event in his past uh, that may have some impact on his adult sexual expression, blah de blah de blah And then you have, you know, a presumption of fit enough, healthy enough, together enough, sane enough, uh, not spun glass enough for you to throw your needs out on the table and see what he has to say about them. And if what he has to say is, I'm not into that, and I don't think I'm capable of that, dot, 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 for whatever reason, he might not be capable of it because for him it may trigger as they say, or he might not be capable of it because he's just not into it, not interested in it. Then you let him make up his own mind and you don't pathologize his lack of desire to go to the places that you want to go to. You just accept them for what they are. But you have to give him the option of you know, opting in. If he wants to do these things, if he wants to explore these things with you, for you, let him. And then it's kind of up to him to see – you know, to draw lines, to uh, set limits, to be clear about what his boundaries are and how far he'll go for whatever reason. And there are people who do DS play who are doing it for a partner, doing it to indulge them, uh, who find the experience unpleasant and traumatic and don't ever really want to do it again, who weren't molested. Uh, it's just not everybody's cup of frack and tea. And you may have to accept that it's not his and then resist the urge if he says, I'm not into this to chalk that up to his experience of sexual trauma. It can be an independent and completely unrelated preference or taste on his part. Hi, Dan. I'm a lesbian in my late 20s who recently transferred to a small university in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Now, the school I'm at is about 70% female, so when my friends back home heard I was going to be living on campus here, there were a lot of fox-in-the-hen-house type jokes after all. I'm a little bit older, I have a lot of experience, and I'm very secure in, well, being a lesbian. But the reality is, I've been here close to a semester, and I haven't been able to get a date or a hookup to save my life. Now, the college I'm at isn't religiously affiliated or anything like that, but it is really quiet and not at all party school. People here aren't particularly conservative, and there's even an active GSA on campus, but the GSA seems to be pretty much entirely gay men and straight female allies. 
I think it's kind of unlikely that I've stepped into some kind of total girl-on-girl blackout zone, but it's really, really starting to feel that way. Still, I know the problem is probably more likely to be with me. Most of my dating in the past has been through meeting people online or socializing in little bubbles of queer and kinky community. So I'm thinking I just never developed any real-world lesbodar or any of the flirting skills that I would need to feel out if any of the ladies here could maybe be interested. I don't have much time or money to try dating in the city via personal ad or gay bar, and I'm honestly kind of pissed at the thought that I'm at this college that's mostly chicks and can't get any. So Dan, how's a queer girl away at school supposed to sniff out who's gay, bi, bi-curious, or looking to spite funny parents and get things going from there? A queer girl asks. A queer girl isn't afraid to ask the question, are you gay, lesbian, bi, whatever. Uh, and a queer girl isn't afraid to ask people out that you're attracted to. You know, you're in your late 20s, you're at a college, you know, 70% of the student body is female, but I bet most of those females are younger than you are, some by uh, a number of years. Therefore, they're probably, if they are attracted to you, expecting that you will take the lead, that you will go first, express an interest, or you know, many of them may not be interested in dating what's going to kill me to say, an older woman, ancient in her late 20s. Uh, so you're going to have to put yourself out there. You're going to have to take the lead. I would also encourage you to get online. Uh, that is where the young folks are doing the hooking up. Get on OkCupid. Uh, get on the lesbian dating sites and put yourself out there, real pictures, show your face, uh, construct a, an online profile where you communicate what your personality is all about and what you're looking for uh, and the ladies will find you. You might also have to accept that this could just be coincidence, that you're just having a dry spell for whatever reason and it happens to be when you landed in this environment and it doesn't have much to do with the environment and sometimes you can't and a dry spell through force of will. A dry spell just has to lift. The rain has to come on its own. So take a deep breath. Ask out the girls you think are cute. Ask them first if they're queer. If they are, ask them out. Uh, and push forward on all fronts, which means get online and advertise, advertise, advertise. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a recent new listener to your show, and um, I listened to a few podcasts recently about girls who had started masturbating at a young age using uh, objects like pillows, and I was one of those girls, and I was, one, happy to find that I was not alone on this, and two, I was glad when you said um, that if you stopped that method of masturbation for a while, um, your body would be able to learn how to masturbate in a new way, and I followed that advice, and last night was able to masturbate manually for the first time and it felt way better and I'm so excited and I am visiting my boyfriend this weekend and I cannot wait for him to do that to me and thank you. I feel so much better. Thanks for your call and uh, hope. There's hope out there for people who've been masturbating in one particular style who feel that they can't break out of that and it's very limiting. Uh, you know, you can look up traumatic masturbatory syndrome online and read horror stories about people who learned how to masturbate by humping banisters, by humping pillows, by pulling a towel between their legs, by 
uh, humping the the carpet or the floor or putting their penis in the case of some guys, their dick between the mattress and box springs and fucking that. And then they grow up and realize that an adult human feels nothing like a mattress set on top of a box springs. Uh, you can, though, retrain yourself. You can break your genitals, erotic dependence, its reliance on a particular kind of stimulation, as I've said before, by denying yourself it, even if it means that you're going to sit there, lay there, use a vibrator, use a fleshlight, jack off and not come. Don't do the mistake people make who've carved a groove into themselves uh, with masturbation that's debilitating is they give it a try and they try some other way and then when it doesn't work and they start to get a little frustrated, they bail to what they know works. They revert to fucking the mattress, fucking the floor, <laughs> sliding down a banister and what you have to do is get it through your body's tiny head, get it through your little brain that that's not going to happen ever again. And you're going to have to carve a new neural pathway from your genitals up to your brain and relearn how to have those orgasms. And uh, as the caller indicates, it's worth it. It's worth it. Worth the effort. Thanks very much for your call. Hey, Dan. So I was listening to 265, episode 265 just now, and I have to tell you that I kind of can't believe that you suggested to the poor guy who is wanting to have sex with his girlfriend for the first time that they could use emergency contraception if they felt they needed to be extra safe. I don't know if you know anybody who's ever taken emergency contraception. I hope you do. But it's not fun. I'm a gay man, but I have plenty of female friends who have had to take this at one time or another, and they're sick for like two days. So any guy who says that to his girlfriend the poor girl is going to say, what, are you crazy? So I just hope for his sake that he doesn't actually say that. Hi, Dan. I was listening to the podcast with the woman asking about how to talk to her daughter about sex. And one of the things that she actually was questioning was how to know what's age appropriate. And I'm not sure your answer really went there. Having raised five daughters, I received some advice as a very young parent that always proved to work well answer their questions. If they're old enough to ask a question, they're old enough to receive that answer. It always worked very well for us. We have five wonderful girls who have very positive attitudes about sex and, you know, no teenage pregnancies. Thanks, Dan. Hey, Dan, just wanted to call regarding the podcast from the guy who um, had come out to his family and they cut him off for most of his fees for university and we're sending him little dribbles of money. I'm still expecting him to be uh, at their beck and call. I was almost that guy like 25 years ago. Um, I made a decision going into my sophomore year of college that I would totally pay my own way except for the odd check for you know spending money. Paid my own tuition, my own housing, uh, my own books. I did that by working three jobs. I still went to school full time. I didn't get a 4.0 GPA, but I got a decent GPA. Uh, was it fair? Probably not. Is it something everyone can or should do? Probably not. But um, what it did is it gave me a sense of control over my destiny that I wouldn't have had if I was, uh, in my case, you know, waiting for the shoe to drop and for my parents to find out that I was gay. So I did that, got myself through university, got my undergrad, and then six months later came out on my terms. Uh, make your own way. It's tough. A lot of your colleagues and peers won't do it. It'll be a lot of freaking hard work, but it'll be worth it. 
Thank you all so much for your calls. We're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720. And quickly, before we let you go, uh, it's too late for us to do a Halloween-themed show for this year, but it is not too late for us to do a Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa theme show everybody goes home for the holidays they bring their new boyfriend their new girlfriend their new spouse home and then they try to fuck around at mom or dad sometimes with disastrous consequences i'd love to hear those stories we could do a christmas episode christmas Hanukkah, Kwanzaa episode a christmas Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, how there's a word for that right a holiday episode but you know if we call it the holiday episode the text every at risk you've suggested a holiday episode then bill o'reilly will accuse us of participating in the war on christmas uh, or the horror on christmas as we probably call it around here anyway call 206-201-2720 share with us your horrifying story of holiday sex gone awry or holiday sex gone aright and uh we will broadcast it uh the week of Christmas here on the uh, Savage Lovecast. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Lovecast. Give us a buzz with a question or comment, and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth will be back at you next week. Another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. <laughs>